This is Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whatever applies. Another edition of Stark Reality with your host, myself, Small Change, a.k.a. Jim Deere. This one features my man, my mellow, Jeffrey Wilson, a.k.a. Reverend Robert Sinewave. He started DJing a wee minute ago back in the mid-80s and also works as a professional mixologist, bartender, whatever you want to call it. We kind of launched into uh, talking about some random records immediately, so I kind of kept the whole interview from the jump. We get into talking about New York back in the day, of course, Chicago, where he lived for a while, now living in Portland. Talk about some of the right-wing protests there. He has some pretty good stories about that. Why you should stir Manhattans instead of shaking them. Making a long-form playlist eight to ten hours and our mutual friend and fellow dj jimmy Connolly shouts out to jimmy this was recorded on april 21st so jeffrey graced us with a 420 themed playlist for you all to smoke to enjoy starts about now stark reality with jeffrey wilson aka reverend robert Sinewave. Hey, how you doing? What up, man? Check, check, check. Uh, do you want to just keep talking for a minute? I just want to set your levels. Sure. I just listened to Night's Life by Donald Fagan, and I haven't heard in like 20 fucking years, and I forgot how dope that shit was. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, it was Donald Fagan, right? My roommate was like, hey, dude, you know, because we were on a steely damn bench, and he was like, hey, dude, why don't you have a Night's Life I used to. And he was like, you can find it really cheap. And I'm, for some reason, I'm getting it mixed up maybe with, with Sagan's album After the Night's Lie um, that only came out on import because I lost a lot of shit in the flood. And, um, and I was like, oh, that's wow, a shame. the Night's Lie is really fucking cheap. I hate floods. Yeah. I hate floods. Yeah, yeah Night Nightfly because uh, I think they kind I found that probably as a kid. Uh, it was like caned on MTV. So maybe... That's why that you can find that record around. It was kind of an MTV yeah, hit. Yeah, just well. Also, I think also because it was, I think the second song album came out in the '90s because of the fact that there weren't a lot of places in the United States that was pressing vinyl at the time because they didn't feel that it was essential or whatever. Right, so right. So that one was an yeah. See, I don't even know the yeah, the follow up to the Nightfly. I don't I think, think so, I. I don't yeah. think I know that record offhand. But, uh, and, and you know what? I could be wrong. But I don't, I don't understand how the fuck I don't have this shit on vinyl. That's all. The nice so thing is, like, one of those. Have everything on vinyl. Yeah, it's one of those things. Though, if you actually wanted to get it, it's. Uh, I would assume yeah. it's still that's, reasonable. That's you never, you never know, though. Like, I can't believe like how expensive certain records are. Like, I'm not even a massive 
Led Zeppelin fan, yeah. but it's like in the nineties, it's like, okay, those records are like five bucks, 10, you know, maybe a little seven bucks, but now it's like they're 50. <laughs> it's like, what, yeah, what I happened? Know. I know. The shit's kind of ridiculous. I'm it is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. It's a couple that I do enjoy. So, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about one thing and I know that it's your podcast and you're supposed to be talking to me about it, but, um, what do you think of, you know, because you know, when I first met you, I first met you through Jimmy. Yeah, I'm trying um, to remember and, when we met. We probably only met a few times, right? I'm I'm trying to remember yeah, we, we when I met, met you through Jimmy. You're Jimmy, well, exactly. I got, I got on the Black Crack thing. I oh, you're on Black Crack. Crack. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then and then when you came through Danny's, I was like, wait, you know what's his name? And you're like, yeah, we've known each other for years. I'm like, no shit. All right. So, but you got you know you being a collector and and you having your show for years and years and years and years and years. Um, where do you think, especially now, because, you know, I was in Chicago during sheer magic and, and, and shit like that. And just getting to know those guys personally and just seeing how once they talk about a record, how that shit blows up like fucking crazy. Like, you know, Hey, I've got, you know, for instance, uh, shit, I don't know. I've got something, you know, there's 45 and then all of a sudden that shit is up on, Discogs or eBay or something like that for a ridiculous amount of money. Um, Sheer magic. That's a party in Chicago, right? Or I'm yeah, that was a party in Chicago. Yeah, I, I knew I knew yeah. of it. I don't think I was that familiar with it, but I guess they were almost having like you know what was known as in the mid '90s the brain freeze effect. That all the 45s yeah. that yeah, were because, featured because on brain that, freeze, really and then magic. people would would be on eBay. Saying as featured on Brain Brain Freeze, which was uh, the Shadow Cut Chemist, and so for people that had mined some of these records that were like ten, twenty, thirty, maybe even thirty dollar forty fives, and all of a sudden, you know, you have like sexy coffee pot going for like five hundred dollars, <laughs> you know, and so yeah. it's like like some of the and they are classic forty, you know, they're classic forty fives for sure, but they start to be like just insanely expensive based on just yeah. a bunch of people who were DJ Shadow fans that all of a sudden started collecting Funk 45s, you know? Well, no, because I, I mean, I would hear some shit from, like, Dante. Dante and Cortland Green were the guys who were doing Sheer Magic, and I would, like, hear something, and I'd be like, okay. Yeah, Dante, exactly. Never, yeah, because at least those dudes never covered their records. Like, when Shadow came to play Danny's, Shadow covered his records. When Scruff came to play Danny's, Scruff covered his records. And when when Dante and 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 Court and the rest of them played, they never cover their records, so we could find out like some shit. Like those are the ghetto rocking chair. That shit is dope, but that shit is still like a hundred and fifty bucks. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I know. So, I remember that uh, because obviously, you know, Kevin Stacy, who I was just uh, talking to the other day, but uh, he ran. Kevin, yes. He ran Danny's for forever. Shouts to Kevin, but. Uh, yep. He was basically, yeah, he was saying that uh, Dante, I think, for a while was doing, like, a monthly Saturday there. Maybe that was it. But, uh, you know, I rem he was saying, <laughs> he would tell people, because I think he was bartending or bar managing at the time. So he would tell people sitting in the bar, like, if you can name one record, I'll buy your drinks all night. And, of course, you know, <laughs> they yeah. never could. Because <laughs> he would say, they're playing, could. like, just completely out there shit. Exactly. Those yeah. guys are pretty crazy collectors. 
I remember I yeah. met Cortland a few times too. Yeah, but yeah, Dante's well known because uh, I think what was that that comp that he put out? Black chains uh, and exhaust. Chains and black exhaust. Chains and black exhaust. Yeah. Classic bootleg comp for sure. Had some crazy yeah. shit on there. Yeah. How did you? Um, and by the way, you're listening to a stark reality. Might as well just get into it here <laughs> with my man uh, Jeffrey Wilson. And do you have a DJ name? I can't even remember. I go by. I, I've gone by. Shit, I've gone by a bunch of things, but I use uh, Reverend Robert Signwave right now. Right, right. And you and we were just talking about our our mutual friend Jimmy Connolly, who uh, Jimmy speaks very fondly of you. You kind of like. Uh, we're sort of like getting him into DJing back in the day, right? Yeah, Jimmy and I went to Jimmy and I went to college together. We met in '87, um, and we both realized, like, I started like fucking around with like turntables, I guess, in like '85, '86 when I graduated college, high school, and um, I with Jimmy. Jimmy and I were just friends. We all like we liked the same music, and we had a setup. I just kind of had this natural talent on doing shit because I did have that one instructor from my college who was just like, yeah, you just have to beat that. You have to count. You just count the beats per minute and then you start marking down your record. So I, I, I could pull out my pressure records and shit like that and have like beat, you know, uh, beats per minute on every fucking track. I got my sign of the times record or some shit like that or on 12 inches. Yeah, you sign of the, sign the, right of the time, corner. 12 inch, exactly. And then you'd have like the BPM be like, okay, that's 107. Or, yeah. Or sometimes the intro changed yeah. or something, you know. And you, you, yeah, you would have so stickers we and you would write down all this stuff so that when you're flipping through, you're like, okay, this is the, uh, you know, which is kind of like automatically generated a lot in a lot of these programs. But yeah, like I remember having a, uh electronic uh, beat counter and you basically would try to sort of match it up with the record you know yeah because there was no tap bpm website <laughs> you know so you had to like figure out the the tempo or approximate you know yeah and jimmy and i worked together after after he left college and, and then i came home from it jimmy and i worked together uh in a group called mad group he filled the studio with his friend in a, in a basement and we were making music for a while and we would dj parties all around the city and um, he had the setup. I had, he had the setup of the records. I had the records, and we would just go and we would just do parties. And um, and then he got he started blowing up, and I moved away, and I moved to Chicago. Um, and I was trying to do shit in Chicago, but with Jimmy, um, Jimmy just stuck with it basically. Yeah, Jimmy is uh, I, was Jimmy's always... good people. He's still like DJing a lot, doing a lot of events. I mean, he's been DJing forever, long time. Yeah. Yeah, and he's out in Hawaii now with his family, and he's just starting up his business out there. So. Oh wow, word! Yeah, amazing. And you are yeah, now, and you're now in uh, Portland, right? The whitest city in America. <laughs> <laughs> and you are black, by the way. Last time I checked, right? I am. I sound like a white guy over the phone. So. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about, I guess, a whole lot of stuff. Um, uh, you you bartend too, right? Yes, I do. So we could we could get into a, like a whole lot of subjects here: politics, music, bartending. Why don't we start though with Portland being the whitest city in America? Why why would you say such a statement? 
uh, well, here I'll say this statement because it's a fact. Portland has Portland has a shitload of people who have Black Lives Matter things on their front lawn or in their window who probably never met a fucking black person their whole fucking life. That's my word because a lot of people around here act like they they don't. Um, and unfortunately, as a as a liberal city in a um, sort of semi-conservative state. Well, I mean, for instance, I've actually seen more Nazis here than I have in my own fucking life. Um, they have a sense of, they have a sense of entitlement. That's all it is. Um, I've been putting out that hashtag, uh, being white is hard. And that can <laughs> definitely go to a lot of people here in Portland. Um, yeah, because... well, um, I mean, there was something with, uh, and I only learned out, learned about this a few years ago, probably through some random Twitter post from someone, but uh, in the state charter, I guess in some of those Northwest states, they basically put that they didn't want black people living there at all. And it didn't get, yeah. it didn't get changed till way, way late, I think. You know, till the after... 70s. So the last thing about real estate uh, in Portland was like changed like in seventy. 273 i want to say yeah i think it was that maybe officially changed in the 20s but yeah wow i didn't realize yeah. it went all the way to the 70s that's nuts yeah yeah i mean there's people who've been living here their whole lives who've, who've been able to like sit there and tell me about shit because it's it's fucking bonkers up here it really really is and it's like you you think of the city as like diverse and it is sort of but it still is it's still creating cash rules, everything around. And most of the people that have most of the wealth are white. And so they're the ones who are, you know, doing the restaurants, having the buildings, all this other shit. And there's still some motherfuckers in the city who are scared of black people just in general. Right. And then I think, you and know, it's what, annoying. Well, <laughs> yeah, sure it is. well, I was saying even with the Nazi thing, because again, I have, I've been to Portland a few times, but I haven't really been around the state, but my understanding is, once you start getting into more of the sticks, like going a little bit more east in, you know, Oregon or Washington, it does get kind of pretty hick or, you know, that's where you kind of encounter some of that shit. But I could be wrong. Yeah, if you drive, if you drive from here to Seattle, there's a um, up on the five in Washington State, there's some dude who's got this huge, like, Trump sign. I remember driving up there back in January for a friend's memorial with a friend of mine, and um, and it was like, well, if Hillary was doing so, blah, 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 it's like, oh, Twitter fuck, sake. that's right. We're in, we're in rural Washington right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but tell us, so, talk, yeah. but talk to me about, uh, you know, some of the sort of, uh, things that you've kind of encountered. Cause you're, you've been there. How many years have you been there now? A few years, right? Three. 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 I, I moved here with an ex, um, who I was married to and she's disabled. And we moved here because of the hospital system. That actually ended up fucking her up even more. But now we're not married anymore, so that's that's part of the thing. Um, I did a, I did some I did do some reading on some things about this place before I moved up here, so I already kind of had a bad attitude about it, and um, and I was absolutely fucking correct too. And you um, have every and I mean I you know as a white person I think you know you all are entitled to have bad attitudes. Like let's look at the world. Yeah. The world sucks. So. If you're, you know, I think well, more was, people should uh, be angry, to be honest, you know. No, there's, and, 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 and I'm not saying, and I shouldn't say that 
like everybody in Portland is a fucking idiot because they're not. But there's a vast majority of people here who are fucking idiots. They might be friendly. They might hold the door open for you. But they're fucking frightened of you because they don't know because they've never interacted. They've never done that or else it's something exotic or it's something weird and different that they haven't done or they haven't Columbus something up here yet either. So, I mean, the one thing that bothers me about this place in general is that there are no, and this is a restaurant thing. This is just coming from me being there. There are no fancy restaurants up here. And that kind of tells me about the culture that is up here because they're trying to be this thing of where we're different. And, you know, we, 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 you know, we do things differently up here and blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it's very homogenized up here. Um, there was a, there was a thing about these two ladies who went down to Mexico and saw these abuelas making food and fucking stole it and brought it back up here. And so we make authentic Mexican food. That's fucking Portland in a, in a nutshell. Right, right, right. They kind of jacked it basically, you know? Yeah. And, and I, there is, it's and here is nothing but fusion and people doing their takes on shit. And I mean, there's, a couple of Ethiopian restaurants up here. I mean, obviously the, 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 the Asian restaurants up here are fucking dope because there's no white people that work there. Um, except for maybe serving or something like that. Uh, this, uh, this white girl is serving in a Korean barbecue restaurant. And I was like, cool. Um, but it's, it's the, like a lot of the Asian restaurants in town are either far East or out or West of the city in the town called Beaverton. Um, most of Anything that was like African oriented or anything like that is up in up on Martin Luther King Avenue, which is the 99 that goes up through town up in North Portland. Um, there's a fried chicken place right by my house that is okay, but they don't season the shit really well. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's things like that. It's things like that. It's, it's a lot of people telling me that I shouldn't be going to these protests because we should just leave these people alone. No, fuck you. Right. It's right. like, if this is the city that I'm living in, and I don't want Nazis in my goddamn backyard. Yeah, I was going to say, there wasn't some of those, you know, I mean, well, now, obviously, you have what I've, you know, since we're recording this now in the, the middle of the pandemic, and uh, you're starting to see these quote-unquote protests going around. I think someone on Twitter sort of dubbed them No Lives Matter, which is kind of perfect, because they basically are. It is the natural endgame of all what all lives matter, is they would go to a protest to possibly infect each other and, and thus other people as well. And then we'll be on lockdown for God knows how much longer, because these people want to protest the right to go to Baskin-Robbins and go bowling. You know, I, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. Well, I, I think we should call those people uh, the Flu Klux Klan. Yeah, it's not Flu Klux Klan. Sorry, so, so for now on, if I see you put shit up on Facebook, it's Flu Klux Klan. Flu Klux Klan. Yeah, but, you know, because the yeah. whole the stupid Proud Boys and all that shit. Yeah, they were kind of, some of those protests were, were you know, some of the skirmishes and stuff were, were happening in uh, in Portland, which, again, you think is with, like, Portlandia, et cetera, et cetera. It's this kind of like hippie-ish, you know, kind of new hipster, the new Austin or whatever. But uh, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's it's demented. There is a sort of side of that. And maybe it is from just the general lack of black people or that the charter at its state founding was incredibly racist and not changed for many, many years. You know, whatever the reason, you know. Yeah. 
there are people here though that will have your back no matter what. These kids out here, some of these Antifa kids and some of these Black Watch kids, fucking dope. They really, really are, and they get it because it's it's still this sort of punk rock attitude of, um, you know, it's not just about this, this, and this. It's you have to look at the big picture, and these are the kids that were out here, like, you know, punching these motherfuckers in the face. Right, and I'm 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 proud of that. I mean, we I stood there with a, I stood there during one protest. Um, I got this great story. So there's um, so what they did was on this one protest, they started the uh, the Proud Boys and their ilk on the other side of the street called NATO, which is down by the river, basically. So they came over the bridge, um, they went to this fountain to plant an American flag or whatever. So. We were on the other side of NATO, which is now facing the city. So they're on the east side of the street. We're on the west side of the street. So as they move these guys south, we move south, too. And um, this, is, this is right during the time where we're figuring out that the cops are kind of... No, the cops are not kind of. The cops are cooperating with these motherfuckers. Yeah, I was just... I didn't and, want to interrupt your story, but that is a, an important fact. The cops were definitely basically, you know down with, you know, against, you know, anyone fighting these people and sort of protecting them, which, I mean, is just so fucked up. But anyways, typical. Yeah, it too. is. Typical. So what they did was, what they did was, um, we went past the park where the first protest was done, which is right near the mayor's office. And as as they moved up NATO, or down NATO, I should say, um, uh, the protesters moved kind of, parallel with them so what the cops did was they rounded up the protesters and basically boxed them in on the street that spilled out in the NATO, which was next to this marriott hotel and as soon as they had everybody boxed in they started fucking shooting tear gas at us classic and i was with a kid uh who was standing there we're all masking up and i'm like dude why aren't you masking masking up he's like la county jail i'm like say no more man say no more but we need to get the fuck out of here. So I actually took a bunch of people through the hotel because uh, uh, a friend of mine is uh, the, uh, she works as a, uh, a manager there. And but she wasn't there at the time, or at least she wasn't, she wasn't where I could see her. But as I walked past the bar, like, Hey, to the bar, people are like, Hey man, where are you and your friends going? Oh, we're just uh, walking through, you know, trying to escape, escape the tear gas kind of shit. Insane. So hospitality industry saves saves my ass again <laughs> on that shit. But it was it was an interesting I was just like we looked back on it and it was an interesting play as they boxed everybody in and they fucking shot tear gas. So that, that journalist got hit, the kid who was wearing a helmet got hit right in the square in the fucking head. It was it was it was crazy. Yeah, they've, so, ki- they've killed people in Israel with hitting them with tear gas in- canisters. So, you yeah, know, they, it's a big-ass metal thing. It's face. like if it hits you in the face, yeah, it's probably not going to feel yeah. good. So it's, uh, it, it was, and then, you know, after that one, that's when it all came out that, yeah, the cops were, were cooperating with these people. Um, when, the, when, um, so... Even during the early part of this this thing, again, the kids were at this place called the World Trade Center, which was across the street from where all the Nazis were. And you could see, because the World Trade Center is this place where it has all these buildings, and all these crosswalks, 
and they're all uh, they're all like glass and closed crosswalks, so you can see everybody walking through. And you can just see the cops up there, like pointing out people and taking names and shit like that. And I was like, "Are we being paranoid?" And they're like, "No, it's cops, mascot." All right. I'm like, "I don't give a fuck. You know, they can see me. I don't. I don't care." Uh, that's that bartender. That's something. that bartender guy. He makes a good Moscow mule. Yeah, that's Let's that bartender get him. guy. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was. You know, we thought we were paranoid, but I was like, no, no, this shit is real. And this is fucked up. So, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a scary to... thing. Like when you, and you know, even these these current protests going on, the flu Klux Klan, No Lives Matter protests, like you know, the people in military jeeps with AKs, like. And again, you know, if those people were black, you know, or native or whatever, would these protests be just, you know, they're just sitting there doing nothing. The cops, it's crazy. The double standard is just, and it just seems like nothing ever changes, you know? Like, is this a scene out of, is this a scene out of the 60s in the South, you know? It's the same shit. Nothing ever changes, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just better, it's just better now with, with the technology that we have. Because at least in the 60s, there was a lot of people who didn't see anything until they saw that whole, the whole world is watching shit that happened during the, during the 68 convention. It was like, oh shit, this is actually real. And, and, the, and the people getting their heads knocked in in the 50s and shit like that, unless it's on TV, it's fucking real. Right. Now, you know, there's more people with more access these days and they're seeing the shit is fucking real. Yeah. And I mean, the, the crazy thing is, even if people do see it, and that's where I kind of gravitate, I mean, social media has its own problems, but, you know, you can follow certain people, like I was following some of those Portland protests, and people were putting up videos clearly showing the cops, you know, aiding kind of like the Proud Boys and all that stuff, but you still, in the mainstream media, you know, you'll you'll get some sort of alternative universe. So, I mean, I do think that, you know, even if it's, you know... Even if if, if uh, platforms like Facebook or Twitter obviously have their problems, and even the people who run them have their biases, they still seem to get out more real info than what you're going to read in a corporate news source. You know, but but again, it's also the for- fault of the corporate media to pick up on shit like, oh, they put quick drying cement in their shakes. Oh, that's the, that well. Andy, that who is that guy, that Andy? Andy how do, how do you say his last name? It's like, because he's like Vietnamese, right? Is it NGO? I can never... Andy the fucking sellout. Who knows? Dude, Dude that guy is so fucking bad. He's such a piece of shit. Yeah. He's such a piece of shit. Well, he, he was like compiling lists that he was saying, oh, I'm just doing it for documentation reasons. And then when they were kind of busting some of those like neo-Nazi groups, was it like the Atomwaffen or some of these like terrorist Nazi groups, they were using his lists. You know, like he's basically trying to get left wing journalists and activists killed. And then, yeah, so that whole incident, he was at one of those Portland rallies. And then like sort of the classic Antifa thing is like throwing milkshakes on people, which is kind of genius because you're not hurt. But it's sort of tar and feathering someone in a modern way. And so, of course, they started he started floating um, a story or maybe the cops did that they were mixing uh, you know, cement with the milkshakes as if it was some sort of yeah. like rock projectile. And and the the fucked up thing is, of course, what do you think these local news services do? They just run the story. Well, the, the chief of police told us, so it must be true. It's like, Jesus yeah. fucking Christ, man. Yeah. 
that's a perfect that's a perfect that's a perfect story about those things because that became like a huge story. Not about not about the people that that got beat up or anything like that. Not about the people who got their asses kicked by. Not that the cops are down with the Proud Boys. It's just oh well, the cops are down with the Proud Boys. No, no, it's Antifa is throwing cement milkshakes at poor poor Andy, the quote unquote journalist, like James O'Keefe's a journalist. I mean, these people are such fucking fake ass chumps, man. They're so fascist. Yeah, it's not even funny. So fascist. And, and, and what I did like about these protests was that a lot of people didn't take this shit too seriously. Like the people who made the milkshakes because they're all vegan people and they were just like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. I mean, this is just a way for us to promote our little healthy thing. We're making milkshakes for the people that are out here because you're standing out here in the sun, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's dance troops out here. There are a whole bunch of shit. I mean, there's there's, there's the kids that want to throw down and they're the kids that just want to make fun of these fucking people. And right. I like them both. Right, right. That's brilliant, actually, that there it kind of operates yeah. on a few different levels, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because you see the ridiculous of, ridiculousness of it all. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, I, I see your point. I see your point. But you know what? They're fucking Nazis, and I can't help it. <laughs> you know? I like, mean, it's like to be a Nazi <laughs> now, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what's kind of crazy is, you know, people are still buying into all this shit, and like I said, when you do have all this information on the internet and history, you're like, why would you? I mean, I kind of, I still understand because, you know, that white bubble is a very hard bubble to pop, you know, and people are still going to buy into it and believe it. But it just, you know, it just seems very far fetched. Like, why the fuck would you be a Nazi in 2020? Yeah. I, like, I what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> I just do I not get it. it. I don't get it. Yeah, my 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 view of like what a Nazi looked like was fucking Michael Rappaport in um, uh, Higher Learning. That was mine. So back in the day, that was my view of what a Nazi was. Not not that not that um, not the shit that we learned in high school or anything like that. That was my view of what it was. And 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 I'm not saying it because Michael Rappaport and that other dude were pl- fucking playing roles, but the shit is still is still kind of true with these people. Right. Right. This shit is still kind of true, and it's 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 really it's it's just I think it's more annoying than anything. I think it's more um, because because and 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 here I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna say this: white people always need fucking somebody to blame, except themselves. Yeah, well, that's part of the bubble. That's part of the bubble. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm white, but I, uh, you know, the, I, I also feel like you kind of need to say those kind of statements. It's kind of like. Well, you shouldn't say, like, you know, all cops are bastard and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, it's part of a system, you know? It's like, as if you're yeah, white, which I am white, don't take it personally because, you know, it's part of a system. I mean, I, you, you grow up with privilege whether you know about it or not, you know? Like, when I got pulled over when I was, you know, in my teens in Southern California, I got treated differently than a black person. This is in the late 80s in the Daryl Gates era. You know I got treated yeah, uh, differently. Yeah. Yeah, and I still even got fucked with a few times, but it's not really, like, the same. And you can't really pretend that it's the same. And if you if you think, <clears throat> you know, you just, I don't know. People shouldn't take that shit person. Like, the whole thing that's been going around on the internet that Karen is the new N-word. I mean, again, it's fucking laughable. It's laughable. Because uh, two neo-Nazis started that shit. Two fucking neo-Nazi people started that shit. And now this is picked up by places like fucking OK Planet. It's driving me insane. 
I mean, it's well, there was that one article in uh, Guardian, and it's almost like it's the most Karen article ever to state that yeah. you're offended by the word Karen. I mean, that's it's kind of crazy because it's sort of like you become an instant self parody. It's like you're exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there is this kind of bubble with you know whiteness, and it to me it is the probably the real the real problem with the world going back how many hundreds of years, you know? It's just it is this kind of like that white people basically do not want to self reflect and understand that they benefit from the system, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, it's hard to get, it's hard to give up it's hard to give up that privilege. It really really is. Yeah, and I mean, you you have that even with, uh, you know, like even the concept that someone, you know, someone starts a hashtag Black Lives Matter, Black women actually, and then so they have to have a counter hashtag because they're offended. All lives matter, but it becomes a joke because all lives matter is, you know, on the surface, if you just looked at it from just a technical meaning, it's like, okay, all lives matter. It sounds like some hippie shit. It's actually completely racist. Because it's it's yeah. basically trying to take out the steam of Black Lives Matter, and s- instead of like feeling like, oh, I don't want to feel bad that there's racism in the world, and that you know all these people have been oppressed, partially because most white people are ignorant, you know, or many people are. So then, you know, I don't want to look at it. So instead, I'll create this hashtag that's like All Lives Matter, and it's trying to almost take the steam out of. Black Lives Matter, and it's just, it's so fucking insulting. It's so insulting. I mean, it I'm is. white, and I'm insulted. I can't even imagine if you're black, and you, you well, see these things happening. You, it, it, again, it's that whole shaking my damn head type of thing, like a lot of head well, shaking. Well, in, in, in a perfect world, all lives matter would definitely mean all lives matter. It would. Right. In a perfect world, it definitely would. Because of the fact that, oh, okay, well, you're going beyond just that, and you're looking at people of other races. Okay, cool. Oh, you're not. Oh, right. Oh, fuck. All right. Oh, oh well. Yeah, right. it just well, it becomes just it becomes like here. a game, and even like you know, you obviously have like the fascist side, but then, you know, for me, some of the stuff that kind of drives me crazy is even on the neoliberal side, like blaming Russia or even what you're seeing on both sides now, blaming China, because you don't want to look at even you know how this government is dealing with something so again let's just blame somebody else like you know it just becomes very convenient you know well the one thing about america though is that you blame russia you don't hear about russian people getting their asses kicked but if you blame china you hear about asian people getting their asses kicked that's That's true america that's true see you know that actually is an excellent point that's also an aspect of whiteness you know that yep. is an aspect of whiteness where kind of like you kind of get these different delineations, you know, like maybe black yeah. people and native people are at the very bottom and then Asian and Latin, well, Latinos and, you know, there's this kind of like structure. I don't know. I mean, again, I'm not necessarily a theorist or et cetera, but it, it is. It's very warped. It's very warped. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. Yeah. Um, Give me to... more. <laughs> Um, just to change the subject a bit, uh, you've been bartending for a long time, right? And you do like all these kind of fancy yeah. cocktail bars, et cetera, or I see you kind of posting drinks sometimes or whatever. Yeah. I kind of gave up on that because of the fact that 
these days people are trying to be a brand or them using themselves as a brand. Um, right now, I feel that the the liquor industry, service industry, is sort of in a hair metal phase. Those bad hair metal shit. Yeah, so talk about because you've been bartending for a long time. Talk about this kind of art because I, I, you know, there. I think there was even like a Portlandia episode making fun of like the kind of craft. Like when did this whole kind of craft bartending thing kind of gain steam? Like in the last fifteen, twenty with, years. It started, or... with, it started in New York. Well, and milk and honey, right? Milk and honey, yeah. Sasha, Sasha Petrosky, yeah. R.I.P. Man, dude. he was a good guy. I, yeah. I, I went to milk and honey a bit back in the day and. You know, right. yeah, no, I mean, he's kind of a genius. He was sort of reviving all these sort of, uh, you know, pre-prohibition type cocktails and stuff, right? And and using yeah. five different kinds of ice and really kind of, he got into the history of it, you know? Yeah, he got into the history of it and it spread. So the one of the guys that he taught was a dude named Toby Maloney and Toby moved to Chicago and uh, helped open up the Violet Hour. And I worked there for like 25 minutes. But it was it was an experience in itself because of the fact that I was already bartending uh, before that, and and to be quite honest with you, I didn't know how to make drinks. So, like one of the things in terms of classic cocktail bartending is the rule is, and there's always exceptions to the rule, but the rule is that you don't shake something that doesn't have a modifier in it, and that modifier has to be citrus. So, in in all of the beer bars that I worked in in Chicago, um, I was shaking Manhattan without shaking Martins. And then I got a bunch of fucking kids who are like 10 years younger than me telling me that I'm fucking wrong. And ego sets in for a minute and then you taste and they tell you why shit like this happens and then you go, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. So unlearn everything and then learn everything again. That was like my last year in Chicago before I... Uh, left with Pittsburgh. Then another kid who was uh, a disciple of of classic cocktail bartending, and he had a place, and I worked for him for a while, and then starting to like spread that that quote unquote gospel. Uh, There's a thing called Tales of the Cocktail in uh, New Orleans, where and industry people went down and they talked to you about booze, and they all got fucked up and probably did cocaine and whatever. Um, <laughs> No, seriously, that shit's still going on. It kind of confuses the shit out of me. But I, I mean, I get it, and I don't get it. I get well, it. Well, I guess I. I, I, I mean, I was never a, a massive cocaine fan. Just watching certain DJs I, I just, throw away their careers on I, it. But uh, beyond that, I guess the idea is it. you can keep drinking because you're coked up, so you can yeah, try you more can drinks. Keep drinking, you can keep working, you can keep doing whatever. But I had a boss, and I had a boss in Chicago. She's like, "Weed is the way to go," and I'm like, "You're absolutely right." So because you get stressed. The one thing you don't want to do is blow fucking lines and then get even more stressed. You just smoke weed and you're good. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Words sage advice from an experienced bartender. Yeah, people. oh yeah. Sage yeah. advice. That, that sage man, advice. Which man, we will get into that in so, a minute because that's your, your playlist is, is centered around that since we're recording this on... Uh, I mean, that's the, your well yesterday. <laughs> um, uh, so these days, and why I say it's in a hair metal phase is this. There was a turning point in the, in the industry where a man from Kentucky and a woman from Portland started this thing called um, um, Camp Runamuck. And Camp Runamuck is ha- happens in Kentucky. You get together, you go to camp, you hit all these uh, distillers, which is dope. I never went because uh, I always 
either going to know or I couldn't go because of the fact that my wife was disabled. And that has nothing to do with her. It just was, was, it just is what it is. So, yeah. yeah. So when, when that started to happen, all of a sudden there are all these black kids showing up to these things. And now people who are, let's say there's people in one region, a kid who lives in Iowa, who's probably never seen a fucking black person in their life is accepted to camp run them goes there and sees a gang of black folks there and they're his friends there. So there are now people in the industry, you know, because the industry is still predominantly white male. Yeah. That's um, another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit because I don't really know that many black kind of craft bartenders off the top of my dome. Oh, there's a gang. There's a, there's a gang. There's a gang. And, and the thing is now is that, um, because of the fact that there is a gang of people now, black bartenders have to do shit on their own. So there's um, there's a thing called causing a stir. There's brown and balanced. Uh, there's radical exchange. I mean, there's some shit that's happening. That's cool. And, and again, there's still yeah, there's still white people who are just like, well, I didn't know that. Of course, you didn't fucking know that because you didn't ask. <laughs> and that's one of the things. No, it's it's true. It's true. If you don't know, then you need to fucking ask. Because yeah. it's the same thing with bartending. Well, I didn't know that this was this modifier did this fucking thing, but I had to do, I had to look it up, read about it, put this in here, use it, and realize how that works. But nobody wants to take the time to fucking do that. Right. So there is now a large black contingency. There are some black people who've gotten some positions of power, and it's and it's a good thing. But it's we're still in a fucking hair metal phase because now it's like. If you go to one of these things and you see a bunch of black people and you're friends with these black people and then you go back to your fucking podunk town, how are you going to react now? How are you going to act? How are these things, how, how did that thing affect your life? And right now, this is the situation that this industry is going through. Yes, the, the underlying issue right now is motherfuckers getting restaurants opening and getting paid again and, and getting back to work. I get that. But there's a whole bunch of underlying shit that goes on that people just want to ignore racism, sexism. The, the sexist shit is still going on. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I guess so there's the, not the there's isolation. not that many female, you know, kind of craft bartenders no, either. No, there's more. But I mean, when you grow up in an industry where you're working in like Chicago, you're, you're working in a bar and it's like these large West women that are there and, and all the dudes are barbacks. I mean, obviously, these guys are these people want to rake in money, and that's some that's also a negative aspect of the industry that has has also gotten into the cocktail industry. And the uh, and the other big thing about it being a hair metal phase, and this is for all those people out here who think they can make cocktails because they saw a fucking video. You can't. You just fucking. Can't. And if you're one of those people who saw a cocktail thing and then you want to do your cocktail bar or do it, all you're just doing is a bunch of half-ass shit. You just can't. This takes a little bit of education. This takes a little bit of practice. This takes a little bit of muscle memory. This takes a whole combination for this shit to actually be, be legit. So, yeah, and any I mean, of your listeners out there, <laughs> any of you motherfuckers who think you can make a cocktail, you suck my fucking dick because you can't. <laughs> you cannot. exactly why I wanted to talk to you. See, this is good. This is good. This is the energy so, that we and want. And any of you pricks out there also think that, that, because of the fact that you're this way and, and, and this is the only way that you can be, you're also a prick as well. So, because there's got to be change. That's called maturing. Right. You know, there's got to be change. Look, 
we're fucking 52 years old and I'm talking with kids who are like 25 who want to change shit. And I'm like, I will help. Oh, I ain't got a problem with that. I don't have a problem doing that. I don't mind putting my fucking name out there at all. Shit. I've done a, I've done a lot for myself in this thing. And I've got a lot of kids all over the United States will back my ass up. Yeah, well, like you said, you even, you bartended, I mean, I bartended for, off and on for a decade, but mostly in clubs and stuff, and so, yeah, I mean, if I had to go work at a place that was a milk and honey type place, I would have to probably relearn a lot of things in terms of that, so, I mean, that's the whole thing, you even, you went through that, you know, and and as you said, you know, sometimes the ego kicks in, it's like, well, I've been bartending for 10 years, I know how to make stuff, but, yeah, maybe you can still learn stuff, but... At the same time, yeah. it's like, yeah, there is kind of a subtlety of it. I mean, you know, and I, you know, before all this madness, you know, I was working DJing at a, a nice hotel bar where, yeah, the drinks are kind of obnoxiously expensive. But there is, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be rolling to go pay $25 for a Boulevardier. But at the same time, if you want to make those drinks proper, they really do need to be balanced right. Otherwise, they just don't taste quite the same, you know. Yeah, uh, 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 my friend Karen, ha, uh, she put up <laughs> something today. She put up something today that Stanley Tucci made a, a Negroni. The motherfucker shook it. And I had to like, I had to go on her page and just be like, he made that shit wrong. He just made that shit wrong. Right. That's all. He fucking shook a Negroni. You're not supposed to do that. Now, why, why is it? Because I remember too, like with uh, Manhattans, you're supposed to stir them instead of shaking them. Why, again, why, what, what happens when you're shaking these drinks? How does it actually change the taste? Well, first of all, you're agitating the alcohol, and then you're also adding water in at a rapid pace. Oh, because the ice is melting by shaking it. Because the ice is melting, because of, because of you're shaking, that's fucking crazy. Right, right. So, so by, by stirring it, it, you're actually diluting it a little bit less. You're diluting it a little bit, and you're not taking away from the flavor. Right, okay. I remember the first time that I made a Manhattan for somebody when I was shaking. They were like, this is awesome. And then I went to a cocktail bar, and I shook a Manhattan, and they looked at me like I fucking killed the poke. <laughs> and then they, they stirred one. They stirred one for me, and... And then I looked at my kind of muddy brownish thing with bubbles on top and their beautiful copper colored shit. And I was like, all right, I'm doing I'm doing right. this shit wrong. Right, right, right. Let's start. And, there, and, and trust me, there's some people out there who want to shake in Manhattan. I'm, I'm cool with that. All right, cool. This is what you want. This is what you get. Right, I'm good right. With it. But in terms, of, in terms, of, in terms why, of the look, you know, and also the, the taste. Yeah. But I will explain to you why I, I, I stir mine. And, and here's a little sample of a stirred one. Here's, here's like two ounces of a little stirred one that you got right here. You compare it to that and you make a decision on your own. And eight times out of ten, they'll be like, yeah, I'll go with stir. There it is, people. See, we learn something every yeah, day. And it's, and it's keeping those people, it's keeping those asses in seats. It's keeping those people... It's keeping those people satisfied. I mean, I, I go back to Portland again because Portland is a fucking city of whiners. This is that. This is the town that Yelp built, and I mean, this is just, the town that Yelp that. built. <laughs> oh, my God. oh God damn! You got yeah. so many good lines. There's, there's, it's hilarious. There's this no, is the town that Yelp there's built. There's no yes. people who just would just bitch and complain on fucking Yelp on something so fucking simple that could could have been rectified there at the place. 
Right. There's actually almost no reason to take time out and write a Yelp review when you could have just sorted it yeah. with I had a, server I had, I had a lady who wrote like a positive Yelp review, but it turned out to be negative in an Italian place I worked at because of the fact that the, the owner of the place wanted to have more of an Italian cafe kind of thing. So we didn't have any wine glasses. We just had, we just had the tumblers. Right. And that's how we served the wine. And she just threw, she just pitched a fucking bitch on Yelp. Because even during, even during, um, even during the time she was, I was like, Hey, we have these wines, you know, these are Italian. These are, these are the white, these are the red. We have a rosé, blah, blah, blah. Here's some aspects of it. Give her the whole thing. And I, she was like, okay, I'll take this. So they got a bottle of wine and she was like with three other people. They got a bottle of wine and, and, uh, I pour all the wine for everybody. She's like, uh, I need a wine glass. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. We don't, we don't have wine glasses. What do you mean you don't have wine glasses? <laughs> well, we, we we just don't. We're doing more of an Italian cafe style. And this is just how it is. This guy went to Italy and he liked that shit. And this is the way that he's running his restaurant. Well, how can you do that if you don't have... I just can't have my wine like this. She's like, all right, cool. And it's more for everybody else. I don't give a fuck. So it's just like, if that's your preference, that's your preference. But this is the way that we're doing things at this place. You can go to every other place. And get a wine glass. You just can't hear. And so that was her beef on Twitter. It's nice. It was, I mean, not on Twitter. On Yelp. Uh, Yelp, she Yelp. was nice. But it was just like, that just takes away from when you go a bitch of a fucking storm on Yelp. Yeah, I mean, it almost becomes like, like, it's sort of like some, well, it's kind of like some ego tripping shit. You know, I yeah, it, feel like total, I'm some, some sort trip. of New York Times restaurant reviewer and... How dare they not have wine glasses? But I mean, it starts to get well, kind of no, silly, those, those, you know. Well, those those people review for Yelp. They're they're like I forget what the fuck the the demarcation was for those people, other than douchebag. Um, <laughs> they had like oh, on a, a special Yelper or some shit like that. I mean, I've heard that before. I've heard that in places like oh yeah, I write for Yelp. Okay, good. I'll promise not to call you an asshole. Yeah, I, I'm a professional Trump. Reddit writer too. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> I write professionally on Reddit. Um, oh my god! Well, let's talk about music a little bit, since because uh, you 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 put together this whole uh, playlist centered around uh, since it's uh, it was is it April twenty first? It's the day after, but uh, it was the day after you were yeah you put together a little four twenty uh, playlist. Uh, you know, obviously. Uh, have some uh classic hip hop blended favorites but um but also some other you know Neil Young et cetera et cetera um but you yeah. have you have another playlist going too just like a whole general thing you've been doing uh if you want to tell uh, people yeah. about um, that I started this thing because I see that everybody's DJing or everybody's making cocktails everybody's trying to still be out there is and there a whole cocktail like thing like the DJ is there like oh god live? yeah oh, oh god. god yeah there's so you're in that there, scene there, more there, than I am that's funny. For people who are bartending online, um, I mean, there's nothing like education. I'm of the I'm of the aspect like I really don't give a fuck about people bartending online. If that's good for you, it's good for you. It just isn't me, so I don't care that much. I want my friends to. I mean, because of the fact that there are people out there who've now done virtual virtual tipping. Now I think that's dope. Where people need the money, they need the money. That's all good. Me. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm, you're not going to see me making a cocktail unless I'm getting fucking paid to do it. Right, right. 
And that's the bottom fucking line. Unless I'm getting an hourly plus tips, yeah, you're not going to see me making a fucking cocktail online. And yes, you can say, well, you're unemployed and you're collecting unemployment. It's like, it's not the fucking same. I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that right now. <laughs> it's ridiculous. In my eyes, it is. I want people to do it. If that's the way that you want to do it, if you want to do a contest and they're sending you shit and all that other stuff, more power to you. Just keep it the fuck away from me. I'm good. Right, right. Um, but the thing with the playlist was, um, I uh, Spotify is a necessary tool for evil because just like the rest of the music industry, it's fucked up completely. Well, yeah. But, I mean, uh, they, I guess their payouts aren't so hot. They've managed to. They, they the managed... guy has more money than fucking Paul McCartney. I mean, it, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's kind of crazy because it's like you think like okay, they took you know all the manufacturing costs and mailing costs and all this stuff, so then more money should go to the artist. But they've managed to engineer a system where the artist gets even less money. I mean, I remember yeah. reading some sort of article. I think it was one of the guys from Galaxy Five Hundred. Um, kind of like you know indie rock band like 80s 90s or whatever but they they were saying that they made more money on their first independent seven inch that they put out more than they ever have with all of their spotify plays or whatever and it's just, i'm not surprised yeah it's kind of I'm crazy not surprised at all but you know i mean i it know there's a lot of stuff out that's like you have these tools etc but you know yeah it's like it, can't... it is, it is, it, but it is. It's a, it's, it's a necessarily evil tool because there's still a lot of people who are my friends who don't know about. Well, I, I'm using the playlist as like an extension of my personality because I listen to all types of music. I'm I'm kind of tired of being pigeonholed uh, because I I've had long talks with people about how. You know, remember the R&B charts, remember the, the Hot 100 charts and all the shit and how difficult it was to, to have a crossover or whatever. And then, well, let's just have our own chart now, you know, how difficult it was to, to, to do this and to do that. But I'm like, you know what, throughout the time, and it's all based on hip hop because hip hop just incorporates fucking everything Right. that my, you know, my eclectic taste in music can all be kind of put under one umbrella basically because it's like you know remember the first time that you you heard that big boy from outcast love kate bush and you're like oh shit you know and then gang of people are just asking me like who's kate bush and i'm like okay kate bush is this person who's been around for a long time she was discovered <laughs> by david gilmore blah 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 well how do you know about this shit because i listen to all types of music i just did i had a family who just you know, my father was an R&B jazz head, but I grew up in white neighborhoods, so I knew about punk rock when it first came out. And I just, but I listened to all types of music. And well, anybody also, who had, I also think like if you come yeah. up digging in a certain era, you know, not to say that people who are DJing now don't, you know, go into all kind of eclectic things, but especially just buying records, you could just go and and even if it's things you didn't know, but it looked interesting you know, that was sometimes a way that you would just get into certain things, you know? Sure. But I think that in this industry, and this is just my personal thing, but I think there's a before Mad Lib and after Mad Lib aspect of it. Because of the fact that, like, not a lot of producers, except for maybe Tilla and Mad Lib, would actually use a lot of stuff from white people. Shadow did it back in the beginning. But, I mean, that was sort of like a concentrated thing. Um. You know, Pete Rock definitely did do it, but most of the time they were sampling from nothing but black artists. Where where Dilla and Madlib would just go and just buy records, just buying shit. And 
Um, so there are people, I remember a thing, there was a, a four o'clock bar that I worked in, in, um, in Chicago called Underbar. And that was where those Mad Lib tapes were, were just all around the city. Happened to get a copy or whatever. I found a copy and I put it on my computer right away. And so he cut up a stereo lab tune. And my, um, my manager at the time didn't understand that at all. I and mean, I think we were playing that. I think me and my friend Jocelyn were playing the, uh, the Quasimodo record where, um, it was that the exclusive where it had that sample one love and he couldn't get that. And so I played, so I pulled out, maybe I had my iPod at the time. And I like bought an iPod, seriously gotten a digital like fucking 12 years ago. I really, really tried to resist. And then finally I was just like, ah, fuck it. I might as well just get an iPod. So I pulled out that and I, and I showed him this track of one of the Mad Lib things where he just totally cut up stereo lab. And he was like, Oh shit. Okay. I kind of get this now because there's still people who are going to sample. But then Dilla and Madlib changed that game where a lot of white people were just like, wow, this is actually kind of cool. So I sort of go from that aspect where I make playlists, um, where I could put on like Gary Bartz and they'll be like, I've heard this song before. Yeah. You heard it in the Madlib tune. That's why. Or I heard it before. Yeah. You heard this in a Dilla tune or whatever. Um, and I also put on a lot of Kumbi and a lot of salsa because that's just, the shit's just open and there's a lot of people who don't appreciate that um like i i was out with friends i was out with my roommate yesterday walking around 420 and i was playing selena and there's people like who is this i'm like it's selena this is cool i'm like yeah you know she died like a long ass time ago right 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 i should look this up more we'll go to spotify because it's still a necessary tool of evil well, so, it's just a, it's a digging resource, even if, you know, like I said, they're they're not necessarily like handling the artists the greatest way. But again, sometimes you just, you know, it's what thing people are on, you know, I mean, I don't really use Spotify all that much. But then if, you know, if other people do like in a way that you're using it where you're just trying to share playlists, you know, it's a way yeah. to kind of get things out there, you know. Yeah. So there's still there's still things I don't have or I've lost that, I you know, that I'll just. On Spotify, don't have it on vinyl. So, and then I'll get the vinyl, and then I'll take it off of Spotify, and I'll never play it again. So, that's why. Uh, and there are things that I'm just not going to be buying. You know, well, there's the just things that are just expensive. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, the numero group puts out something. Yeah, I'll go and get it, and not try to find the original seven inch because I don't feel like paying a mortgage. Yeah. So there is, I mean, I, I there there that. is that aspect of music and. I mean, I, as much as I do appreciate originals and, and people like having crazy records, but there, you know, sometimes there can be a very snobby aspect of that. And in the end, music should be democratic. It really just should be like everyone should have access to it, not just the people that either spent $1,000 for some 45 or bought it in the 80s and 90s when it was 50 bucks. You know, it, that to I me, those aren't, those, those aren't the only people that should be able to play these records you know yeah i think the most i've spent on the 45 is 120 and i won't go above that ever yeah i mean i've spent i've spent a couple hundred bucks on a few things but again it gets crazy and it's like yeah you know it's for something that i just really really love but at the same same time i could do that with a million other records and so it starts yeah records records can be dangerous like any kind of collecting thing there's 
far too many good things. So even if you're just trying to collect the good music, you will have rooms fulls of records, even though there's also lots yeah. of terrible music. There's just, and like, I mean, even talking about cumbia and salsa, it's, you know, I kind of still buy cumbia 45s and that's also endless. There's always more, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, there's always more, you know. Which yeah. is, which is, you know, an aspect I've talked to other people about, which is sometimes gets frustrating is like, you know, when people want to sort of, you know, I understand with parties that people want to hear certain things, things they know, but there really is so much music that is just unknown that, you know, I'd, I'd rather many times just hear things I don't know that are dope because yeah. you will never hear yeah. all the music in the world even before you're dead. It's not even possible, you know? Yeah, that see that doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, there are some things like if you know I tune into your show like late at night or whatever. I'm like, oh shit, this motherfucker's like, all right, what's this? What's that? Okay, I either try to find it or I don't because it's something that I can add to the repertoire of shit that I'm playing because of the fact that all right, he's moving asses with this one, so I could put this at this time of night. I throw that one in, and I know that asses are going to keep moving. That's dope, you know. Um, and then if I want to take something to slow it down, then I've got something to slow it down or whatever. That kind of shit. Well, it's um, like, I mean, we all I get influenced it's... by other people. I mean, you know, you learn tracks oh, yeah, from exactly. other people, but then you're like, all right, but I can incorporate it in the way that I want to do it or whatever. Yeah. And I, and I just think that, that, that I'm, I'm putting together these long ass, like 11 hour playlists. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're really close. long playlists that you're putting together. Yeah. They're ebb because they ebb and flow. So first of all, I think about it in terms of like a, a bar shift. Uh, that's one thing I think about when I put these playlists together is a bar shift. So there are bar shifts that can go on for 11 hours. So it's just like, well, you might as well have music from beginning to end. You know? So that's, kind of, that's what's kind of cool then, is you're curating like almost what you would, if you were stuck bartending, then it's like, well, I might as yeah. well hear myself DJ in a way. Yeah, because of the fact that I can I can I can play uh, Eddie Palmieri and Slayer in the same fucking list. I'm good. Yeah, there I'm, it is. I'm good. See, I yeah. that's that's genius. I love that. I love shit like that. Where you, but I mean, it's also like the concept of a journey that you're you're able to lead from one say style of music or even vibe to another. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I I'm tired of having music sort of be just like this one thing where it's i like pop or i like hip-hop or i like this type of hip-hop or whatever it's just like no i like everything i do i'll give it a listen if i don't like it i don't like it uh, to quote common if i don't like it i don't like it it doesn't mean i'm hating well it's but a classic duke it, ellington there's two types of music good music and bad music you know yeah and i i still believe out there that there's bad music but i'll give it a try and i'll be like yeah i don't like this so and i'll just i'll just move on from that so i mean i've, I've lived I've lived with people throughout my life who have listened to what I would consider bad music. Hell, I was in college when the dead was still going. Yeah, I still don't and get the dead. I have never gotten the dead. I and and also, I dead. was, I was, yeah, I mean, I'm a few years younger than you. I'm uh, 48, but, you know, I probably could have seen the dead in Cali in the 80s when I was a kid, and I had no interest whatsoever. And I still just feel like... Yeah. You know, I mean, like now, you know, you end up digging and you're like, all right, some of their early 70s records are not, you know, they're all right. But it's like, I just don't get like the, the stigma. I guess it's just a lot of people. And I mean, again, you could go back to just saying, well, it's just white people, <laughs> you know, kind of like, well, yeah, you know, basically holding up kind of mediocrity 
and uh, yeah, it's harsh, but that's our opinions. <laughs> I, I just feel like they're kind of, I don't know. It's like, I don't, you know, I, like I, I, I saw some video where it was like Etta James in like the early eighties jamming with the, with the dead. And it's like some kind of, it just sounds like mediocre white R and B. Like I'd much rather hear Etta James in the fifties and sixties than her jamming with the, I, I dead. You. you know, it's, I don't know. Well, there was one thing that sort of changed my mind about the dead. I was living next to uh, a bunch of kids that I wrote with on a, on a school magazine and I went over to their house one day and I was like, and I heard an unmistakable saxophone of Bradford Marcellus. And I went, wait, is this a bootleg of Bradford Marcellus playing with the dead? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'll listen to it. And I listened to it and it was, it was really fucking good, but it was Bradford Marsalis playing with the dead. Take away Bradford Marsalis. And I'm back to, nah, I don't like this shit. Yeah. Nope. There's just I a certain kind of vibe that I didn't. I never quite got with the dead. They just, yeah, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. But again, it is. people it is. can find their own taste with things. It's fine, you know. Yeah, but I, you know, and I'm trying to like hit as much of a wide berth as I can. But you know what? There just isn't going to be the dead. There isn't going to be fucking three eleven. There isn't going to be fucking lip biscuit on my shit. Just isn't that? Just it's just not the shit that I listen to. Right. If you want to go ahead and you want to make a playlist, go right fucking ahead. I don't have a problem. If you make something that has the dead or, or whatever, I already have them blocked on Spotify, so I don't have to listen to that shit. So, I mean, well, so that's the. I'd make a playlist. I mean, and that's the genius of even DJing. I mean, it's kind of what I think is, is sort of cool about, you know, these kind of longer playlists, you know, uh, is that. It, there is kind of like a curation in that, you know, especially, if, you know, with some of this stuff, you're not necessarily going to beat match Eddie Palmieri or whatever, but, you know, kind of yeah. with the tools, you know, because you have been DJing for a million years and you're doing other things, it's sort of like, well, then you can take that kind of curation. And I think I also think it's kind of cool when you sort of mix the things you're into, like you have been DJing for a long time. You also know you know, in terms of bartending and working these kind of restaurant shifts. So it's like you're actually making a specific type of playlist. You're, you're, you're kind of making yeah. a playlist that you could work to that is going to keep flowing in different styles, but it's also kind of like from the perspective of, you know, you're, you're kind of framing it in a way like, okay, I'm going to put together a playlist that if I had a 10, 11 hour bar shift, I wouldn't be bored with, but it kind of gives you an idea because if you have all this music available to you, it's like, where do you start sort of thing? So it's kind of like yeah. putting a framework to the uh, playlist, you know? Yeah. And, and especially if there's things that people haven't heard or seen like, well, Hey, you just followed, you, you followed, uh, or I, I think on the new one that I'm going to do at the end of the month, I definitely do have Archie Shep's mama too tight somewhere in there. Nice. And it will be either preceded by, I think it's preceded by like PJ Harvey and then I haven't done whatever it's going to be after that. So like doing like 50 foot Clooney and the mama too tight. It's just in my head. I'm just like, I'm fucking brilliant <laughs> because that's just how I feel. <laughs> that's just how I feel. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's like one of, uh, I mean, Archie Sepp made a, a bunch of brilliant records, kind of a little bit more in the Avon or spirit jazz vein, but that's like one of his more uh, funky ones, right? That came out on, I think one of his impulse records, right? 66. Yeah. 66. Yeah. So exactly. yeah. Mama too uh, tight. And yeah, I it's want, a good record. I, want I forgot people, about that. I want shit. People knew. 
Yeah, well, that's. I want people to know who Archie Shep is too. So. Yeah, no, Archie Shep is brilliant, brilliant. I there's one of yeah. the, my favorite jazz records of all time is uh, that record he did, Blase, on uh, Actual, that French label. No, but yeah, my favorite of his is actually the Live in San, San Francisco one because I think it it, it kind of gets every aspect of him. It gets it gets the free jazz, it gets the funk. Before he started doing funk, it gets the spoken word shit that he was doing because everybody didn't know that he was a playwright as well. Oh, and wow, it's just I didn't know all that. that. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And it just incorporates everything into me like like this is who this motherfucker is, you know? And it's like you could see the the change that he, that was coming for him to like head into like shit like Attica Blues and Blase and shit like that. Right. And 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 Mama Rose and shit like that. It's just ah, it's just man, I could talk about that motherfucker all day. He was actually here um before the before the virus before we got shut down. Ah, so, damn. Uh, I gotta, yeah, I got Oh, wow, that's awesome. That's that's awesome. He is yeah, one of my, he's definitely one of my musical too. heroes, Archie Shep, for sure. Mine too. Mine too. There just isn't, I, I just think that there was a champion of jazz, a champion of, of black music. It's that motherfucker right there. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and that's the thing. So, it's, and, there's, it's just, it goes deep. I mean, that's the thing about even like kind of getting into the nooks and crannies of music and then you find these artists and these records and it's yeah it's almost like okay i gotta get all these guys as records <laughs> you know basically well that's that's i mean that's i mean let's talk about collecting if you want to do that because i'll tell you how i started um because yes i want to find this person's music i want to find all about this motherfucker why i like this record and then if it's if there's something that lets me down I'll put it away I'll put it away or I just won't buy it or I'll sell it back or whatever. But right. I, I, my OCD started like this. I think I started collecting records because uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood to be, to be completely honest with you. Now, and that, that would be 80s, very 1985 of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, I mean, I started buying records basically in high school. So, I mean, I got all my Prince records and this is right before he had the Paisley park label, but like VTT was like, okay, well, Frankie and the Art of Noise is on this label. Well, who the fuck else is on this label? And it's the same thing with New Order and Joy Division. Like, I love New Order and I love Joy Division. Well, who the fuck else is on Factory? Well, the Dirty Code. Okay, I don't know what this is. Oh, a certain ratio. I have no clue what this is. Oh, my God, they have black music on here. They got 52nd Street. This shit is dope. So that's basically how I started doing shit. I would collect by label. When Def Jam came out, shit. Yeah. All I just did was just go to the store. Um, uh, TSS. Those stores in the mall, back when I was living in Jersey or going to New York, anything that said Def Jam, I picked up. Yeah. I didn't know who Big Audio Dynamite was until I picked up something on Def Jam. Wow, that's wild. Like, that's right. Yeah, because yeah, the thing is, and that's something that I think does, I've talked to a lot of people about this, that it gets a little bit lost. Like, you know, you can still obviously dig online, either, you know, just going through different things, different avenues, but... That's something that I think is missed that I was also very much the same way. And especially with when you start getting into jazz and soul and all these different obscure labels and you're digging and you see another thing on that label that you have some dope 45 or LP on, of course it immediately grabs your interest and, uh, yep. labels. Yeah. They may, they, I, 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 I totally agree. I think like, especially expanding into things that you don't know about, certain labels when they really just put out so much good shit that 
if you saw something else on that label and you didn't didn't know it, it was always worth a listen, always. And then, you know, again, if it wasn't crazy, maybe you wouldn't buy it or you bought it and threw it back. But many, many times it's like, wow, this is amazing. I had no idea this existed, you know. And then it gives yeah. you a whole new avenue of, you know, either people playing on the record or a new artist to then kind of find out what they've done and et cetera. And then maybe they're on other labels and then you find, you know, other things on that label. And, you know, so it becomes yeah. like this kind of uh, network, you know, like a sort of tree in a way, you know. Definitely. 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 Uh, I, I, because my, my, actually my record collection 45s and and 12s are all in alphabetical order in terms of label. Interesting. That's crazy. Yeah, people have different ways because, of organizing and stuff. Yeah. So if I if I so before the flood, if you wanted a Beck record, you could find a couple on DGC, but you found the most of them on Bongload. That's all example that I used. Right. Right. Because I knew because I know the labels. So. Moax was a was a label that I just Jimmy Jimmy will always make fun of me. Why are you always collecting shit from Moax? I'm like because I love it. That's why. Yeah, Moax. You know, I mean, in that in that, in that whole kind, yeah, like there there is a lot of acid jazz or some of it or or down tempo or whatever you want to call it, where some of it didn't age so great, but there were certain labels no, that kept no. kept it. Uh, you know, really put out a lot of good records. Uh, Mo Moax being one of them for sure, and they put out obviously Shadows' first record, but. Uh, you yeah. know, there was a. I think who was the the guy who passed not that long ago, Cassius or whatever. He or, was like the uh -huh. French producer, but he, you know, his early down tempo stuff, uh, La Funk Mob on Moax. Was fucking that shit. Those was records were banging, banging, for yeah. sure. There's a lot yeah. of. There's still a lot of gems in the '90s that I think are are kind of slept on. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my my roommate didn't know about Group Collective. Yeah. And I was like, well, here, I don't have the record anymore, but here, here it is on Spotify. Listen to this. He was like, holy shit. I'm like, oh, yeah, and Gary Katz produced it. He was like, what? I'm like, yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. this record's fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good shit. It's endless. Yeah. Well, I think we're actually kind of getting past the mark. We might need to wrap it up here. Um, but uh, the playlist that you provided, first of all, thank you so much for uh, coming on and, uh, you know, talking shit, proper shit, for sure. Um, oh, work, yeah. fuck white people but um beyond all that um <laughs> uh you know uh your playlist is uh like i said uh what were some of the tracks it was all obviously inspired by recent 420 etc so it's a very wheat you know something to spark up to but uh yeah uh want to get high is probably one of my favorite songs about smoking weed uh, you hear that, like, you know, you put that needle on a record and you hear the horns and you're just like, and then B-Rail goes, I want to get high. It's just like, yes, okay. Especially because now... You have to have Cypress Hill. That's is, almost like any stoner is, mix must have Cypress Hill. Yeah, <laughs> where this thing is, now it's legal. And it's like, wow, you know, you have to wonder like how much of an influence like Cypress Hill and Redman and and all those people had on... on um, on, on, on weed culture and, and how it is because shit I remember with Jimmy uh, playing a place called Psycho Mongo's House of Sublimation down on Houston Street we put on How to Roll a Blunt one night holy shit things went nuts right right went nuts for that back then 
Yeah, no, Cypressil was Cypressil was massive, man. Even on the even on the East Coast, they were massive for sure. Yeah. So yeah, so basically, what it was was just just a little sampling of of just we culture in in hip hop, definitely. But then you know, uh, Bob Dylan's ironic. Everybody must get stoned. Uh, Pass the Dutchie, one toke over the line. Purple Haze, which I was considered Purple Kush, to be honest with you. And then, you know, finishing it off with uh, Kenny Rogers because of the fact that I was stoned as fuck when I made this goddamn thing. No, I mean, that's a pretty, I mean, you know, that's some drugged out shit for sure. Yeah. So, and just to end it with that, just to see what my condition was before I went to to bed and slept like (laughs) harder than walk last night. That was just like perfect. That was just like a perfect thing. There's, there's got to be a beginning and a middle and an end to these things. And I think that with this one, it, it flows really naturally. And it's just like, okay, hip hop, hip hop. Oh, oh, he played that. And then, oh, well, hey, this one came in and I, I didn't know that. You know, and I think you threw in, that, uh, that, was it Mary Jane, right? Rick James. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to throw classics, classics. So, yeah. Well, anyways, so that's, that's that's the reason why I did that one yesterday. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for. Uh, you know, sharing your thoughts and uh, bartending recipes, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, keep the faith and we'll enjoy your mix. Yeah, small change. Oh, man, you're the man. So I appreciate this, man. Oh, come on, come on. No doubt, no doubt. Um, so uh, we'll just keep talking shit online and I'll uh, I'll see you soon. Somewhere. Yeah, work. After, after the shit New is Orleans. over. Yeah, New Orleans. Let's, yeah. Meet, let's meet in New Orleans. That's a good idea. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, man. Peace. To hear the exclusive 420-themed playlist from Jeffrey Wilson, a.k.a. Reverend Robert Sinewave, check out episode 12 of Stark Reality on Mixcloud or live and direct on jasoncharles.net podcast network music shows. You've been listening to Small Changes, Stark Reality on jasoncharles.net. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.